0: You would have never guessed it, but Randy was smart. And not just the type of smart that gets you good grades, but the type of smart that might solve some of the world's biggest problems someday. When you grow up in small-town Arkansas, though, intelligence like that is very likely to go unnoticed. That's not a dig at Randy's teachers, it's just they wouldn't have had the resources or programs to facilitate someone like Randy, even if he was on their radar for his big brain. Randy's attitude at school didn't really help either. Teachers could tell he was smart, very smart, but he was bored and most of the time took pride in being the class clown. He got by with mostly C's and the occasional B minus. Given the choice between finishing his algebra homework or building things in the garage out of random junk he'd collected, Randy was sure to pick the latter every time. His parents could tell he was smart, too he developed motor and language skills that dwarfed all of the other kids in his daycare, and as he got into kindergarten, his teacher suggested he be bumped up to the second grade. The other kids were intimidated, to say the least. Moving into the third grade, having been roughed up several times by the other kids for being a nerd or brainiac, Randy came to the conclusion that it was easier to let his intelligence be less apparent. He also discovered around that time that being the class clown worked in his favor to coexist with his older classmates. So he floated like that, all the way through junior high, never getting into any serious trouble, but using humor and his ability to camouflage his smarts to fit in. His parents worked full-time. One second shift, the other third shift. They did what was necessary to get by, and they loved him But he was a latchkey kid, and usually ate dinner alone. Small towns in Arkansas didn't offer much in the way of job options, so they took what they could get. For the most part, Randy kept to himself outside of school. When he turned 14, he designed and built a few motorbikes in his garage-slash-laboratory, and secretly a few rockets, among other covert inventions. Being bored that summer, he managed to fuse these two inventions together, creating his own dirt bike with mounted rockets on the sides. To say that fusing these two ideas together was a bad idea would be a gross understatement. Having wanted to impress some of the girls in his class, Randy decided to take his motorbike on a little cruise around their small town. Everything was going fine until he decided to shoot one of the rockets at a dumpster behind the local ice cream shop. He knew it would explode on impact. That was the idea. The kids hanging out there would see his stunt, and he'd be ushered into the upper echelons of coolness. Or so he thought. Popularity itself wasn't something he really cared about, but the girls at his school seemed to like the popular guys. The rocket made impact, and there was roaring applause. A fragment from the projectile ricocheted off the dumpster and landed in a bush next to the ice cream shop. Luckily, only a portion of the ice cream shop sustained any significant damage. In small towns, the fire station is never too far away. Randy spent the remainder of his summer vacation working at that ice cream shop. All of his paychecks went to repairs, and he became known as Randy the Bomber, a name he didn't entirely hate at first, but one that didn't go over well with the girls he was looking to impress. His parents shut down his operation in the garage that summer, but that didn't stop Randy from continuing to design and build new things. The following summer, Randy decided it was time to reclaim his honor and cleanse his name. He knew that his last stunt was juvenile and childish. His new idea was to wow his audience and show them that his skills went far beyond being just Randy the Bomber. After toiling away and repurposing forgotten pieces of technology from the local scrapyard... It was time to unveil his newest creation. It was a motorized vehicle, but not just any vehicle. Randy had constructed a motorized horse, one capable of being ridden, and he had every intention of doing so during that summer's local fair. The big day came, and Randy convinced one of his older friends with a truck to give him and his creation a ride to the fair. Along with the ride, Randy also borrowed his friend's cowboy hat. Randy made a point not to unveil his creation until he got there. When he did, he mounted his glistening stallion, and they started to make their way through the fairgrounds. Every head turned as they went by. There were many jaws agape, and several of the townsfolk were snapping pictures. Randy was happy he'd spent an extra evening polishing up the faceplates of his horse and adding the final touches of the glowing blue eyes. Everything was going according to plan. Randy was clearing his name, impressing the town, and impressing his classmates. Until Walton saw him. He, too, was no stranger to juvenile pranks, albeit more violent ones. Walton, unlike Randy, was more than just a class clown. His pranks usually involved an element of danger, typically at someone else's expense, and he was notorious for being the jealous type. Walton carried a backpack equipped with cherry bombs, stink bombs, itching powder, exploding cigarettes, a slingshot, and a plethora of other items. Among the mischievous things in his bag, there was one item that surpassed the rest, a taser he'd managed to steal from his father, who was ironically a police officer. He hadn't had a chance to use it yet, but when he saw Randy approach on his metal steed, he sensed his opportunity was upon him. Walton slipped the taser out of his bag and into his back pocket as he moved through the distracted crowd. This was one of the best days of Randy's life. He thought he'd surely be back in the good graces of his classmates and the girls he was trying to impress. Walton jogged up beside him. Hey, Bomber. Nice pet. Randy glanced down at him, realized who the remark was coming from, and then looked back up ahead. Walton repeated himself. I said nice pet. Without looking down at him, Randy said, Thanks, Walt. Maybe someday I'll let you ride him. Walton fingered the taser in his back pocket. I doubt that, bomber. He discreetly pulled the taser out and to his side. Randy looked down at him. Oh, and why's that? Afraid to ride a horse? Walton smiled and jammed the taser into the undercarriage of the robot horse. All at once, arcs of electricity pulsed through the machine. There was a loud buzzing and zapping sound, and Randy was bucked off of his steed. The crowd gasped as the horse sparked and buckled. They all backed off, Walton included, making a massive circle. The horse writhed and jolted, its front and back legs kicked and twitched. Then it took off into the crowd. The crowd started to panic as the horse mildly shocked several people. It ran past them, towards the tilt-a-whirl ride set up just down the street. Luckily, no one was riding when the horse slammed into it. Everyone who would have been was in the crowd to see the dazzling horse machine. Old fare rides are often powered by gas. This one was no different. As the electrified horse hit the gas tank next to the tilt-a-whirl, it exploded. It wasn't a massive explosion, but one large enough to do significant damage to the ride and the food truck that sat next to it. To Randy's great relief, the man who was operating the tilt-a-whirl and the food truck worker had both left their posts to marvel at his horse. The outside of the tilt-a-whirl was made of fiberglass. Part of that fiberglass was turned into a viscous liquid and wrapped around the mechanized stallion. Its front left leg was blown off along with its head. The dripping, sparking, mechanical abomination ran for a few feet and then slowed significantly. Then it sparked a few more times and collapsed. Luckily, there was already a fire truck on site, as was tradition for the fair. Randy's stunt was in the newspapers, and not just the local newspapers, but some of the national ones as well. The papers and his classmates made a new nickname for Randy, the Electric Cowboy. It quickly became something he hated. The ride and the food truck stand were both insured, thankfully, but Randy's parents made him work to help pay for repairs all the same. Ironically, at the ice cream spot, he had caught fire previously. The entire town knew it was an accident and the fare workers decided not to press any charges or get the law involved too much. This was a huge relief to both Randy and his parents. Randy's parents were concerned. He had become notorious, not in the way he wanted, and he figured his chances at getting in the good graces of his classmates were over. So he considered his options and decided that for the remainder of his high school career, he'd keep his head down and focus on himself. His last bit of high school was mostly spent at the library, where he read many books and tried to keep as much attention off of himself as possible. The librarians kept a close eye on him at first, but after enough time passed, he became an accepted regular. One night, after school and his trip to the library, Randy and his father had an unexpected conversation. His father called into the living room from the bathroom where he was getting ready for work, a week after the incident. Randy, can we have a talk real quick? Randy sank in his chair. His mind raced for a moment, thinking of his week. Had the school called? He thought. He didn't remember doing anything out of line or anything that would have gotten him in trouble. His dad walked into the living room and clicked on the overhead light. Randy clicked off his reading lamp. Your school called today? Damn. Randy thought. He had apparently done something. Randy closed his eyes and sighed. His dad continued. You're not in trouble, bud. Actually, your school called and had some good news. Some really good news. His father sat down and smiled at him. They said your grades have all skyrocketed, and not just a little bit, but a lot. A whole lot. Like you're a different kid. Randy thought about it for a moment. He honestly didn't mean to draw attention to anything in his life, but in his act of burying himself in books and schoolwork, he had inadvertently done so. Yeah, I've just been, I've been kind of just doing book stuff. I don't really, well, after everything that happened and all the other kids and, yeah, I don't know, I just, Randy trailed off. His father kept smiling. We always knew you were smarter than you let yourself be. We could see that when you were little. It's funny how it took all this time for you to catch up to the way you were. Well, not funny, just weird how stuff works out like that sometimes. Anyway, that's not really what I wanted to talk about. Well, it is, but we're so proud of you, Randy. But there's also this other thing. He pulled a letter out of his pocket. I didn't think anything good would come from your fair stunt. Randy cut him off. If it's something about the fair, I don't want anything to do with it. I'm over that. I'm done with that. I'm not going to do an interview. I'm not going to... His father cut him off this time. Whoa now, cowboy. Randy rolled his eyes at that. Sorry, I didn't mean it like that. Look, this letter is actually something that might interest you. Seems like your horse robot caught the attention of some... robotics college. This was the last thing Randy expected. He had read so much about what happened and had to deal with the overwhelming amount of negativity that went with it. He never imagined that something positive would manifest from that situation. He read the letter, and it did indeed interest him. It was from a robotics institute in Massachusetts. They had seen press coverage on Randy's story and wanted to talk to him personally about his creation. They offered to fly him out and for his stay after the school year ended. of course. I think you should go, his father said. Might be your ticket out of this town, but it's your decision, and if you don't want to go, that's okay too. I would have when I was your age, and it looks right up your alley. It was right up his alley, and he did go. He spent a week in there, talking with engineers. They picked his brain, and he picked theirs. Randy got a tour of the facility and marveled at what he saw. It was a playground of robotics, computers, science, and technology. It all looked like things he'd seen in the movies, only real, real. When his trip came to an end, they invited him back to take an entrance exam to study at their institute. He'd just graduated high school, but he wasn't 18 yet. If he passed the exam, he'd need his parents' approval to study there. His father was very excited when he returned. Are you serious? Yes, go, go, Randy. This is, this is great. His parents had been worried about him for the past few years, and this, along with his elevated grades, seemed like a beacon of hope for his otherwise unknown future. Randy flew back to the institute and took the entrance exam. Afterwards, he was waiting in a dorm room they'd provided for him, looking at the college girls walking through the courtyard. There was a knock at his door. He opened it, and on the other side was someone he hadn't met before. He was a younger man with a sharply groomed beard and haircut. He was wearing a sci-fi-looking lab coat and held his hands in the front two low-hanging pockets. Randy? Hey, yeah, that's me. Hey, Randy, you want to come with me for a sec? He nodded towards the hallway. Yeah, sure. Randy followed him down the hallway to an elevator. The man pressed a button and the doors slid open. They stepped inside and the doors closed. The man said flatly, Base Alpha, Zone 6. The faceplate of buttons on the wall in the elevator slid down and the man leaned in, placing his face next to a now exposed glass sphere. It scanned his face, and an unseen speaker said, Face recognition approved. Then there was a pleasant-sounding ding. Randy could feel the elevator shoot down quickly. When it stopped, the doors opened to an all-white hallway. There were lights that ran along the top corners of the hallway where the ceiling met the walls, and as they stepped into it, Randy saw many white doors on the left and right. They came to one, and the man pushed it open. The inside was surprisingly more welcoming than the hallway. There were bookshelves, cushioned seats, and couches lining the massive room. Framed paintings hung all around the room as well. Instead of sterile-feeling lights, there were several lamps sprinkled throughout the room that gave off a warm yellow glow. Randy could smell the wood underneath the sprawling carpets below them. In the middle of the room, there was a massive oak table. There were three other scientists sitting at the table wearing similar outfits to the man who had retrieved Randy from his dorm. They walked up to the table, and the oldest of the three scientists made a gesture that invited them to approach. The man stood up and extended a hand to shake Randy's. Randy, we're so excited to meet you. We've heard a lot about you. His grip was firmer than Randy had expected. He had a wispy white beard, much longer than the first man's, and he wore glasses that sat at the end of his nose. The other two scientists stood up, and he shook their hands as well. One was a younger woman, maybe in her twenties, and the other looked similar to the man that had fetched him, only he had longer, thinner hair. All three wore similar white lab coats. Randy sat, and for a moment, the older scientist looked over some paperwork he had lying on the table. "'I'm going to be blunt with you, Randy. I don't want to waste your time, and I certainly don't want to waste ours.' "'Did you cheat?' Randy shook his head, confused by this. He squinted his eyes and asked, Cheat? Why would I cheat? How would I cheat? The scientist with the longer hair spoke up. Randy, you not only did well on the entrance exam, you've done better than most, or all, I should say. Granted, it is designed to look at general intelligence and not so much robotics or fields of study that you wouldn't have much access to, but this is, well, this is... We've not seen an entrance score like this before, and it does have us questioning its validity. I didn't cheat, Randy said, annoyed. The scientist's eyes snapped to the older one, and they both nodded. Then, the older one spoke again. Would you be willing to take a few more tests? Perhaps today? Perhaps right now? Randy thought about it for a moment. I don't see why not. I'm I'm here to do the whole college thing, so yeah, let's do it. Randy was escorted to another room. This one was far less welcoming. It was completely white and had lighting similar to the hallway. There was a long, one-way mirror that stretched down its length. Randy knew he was undoubtedly being watched by the scientists behind that mirror, but he didn't care. If they needed to watch him, that didn't bother him at all. He'd taken tests with half his class whispering rumors about the electric cowboy and Randy the bomber in the past, and this felt no different. Better, actually, because he couldn't hear the whispers. The tests, and the short recesses between them, took the remainder of the day. When they ended, Randy was escorted back to his dorm room. He called home and told his parents about his day, at least as much as he could. They were excited, probably even more than he was. Randy clicked on the small TV in his dorm room. A classic black-and-white movie was on. One where robots were coming down from space, tormenting the Earthlings. He drifted off to sleep. He awoke the next morning to another knock at his door. It was the same scientist from before, and once more, he escorted Randy back to the subterranean oak table. The three scientists were there again. This time, they sat with even more papers in front of them. Have a seat, Randy, the older scientist said as he approached the oak table. He did, and for a moment there was silence as the gray-bearded man thumbed through some of the papers in front of him. He looked up over the glasses that sat on his nose. Again, I'll be blunt. Randy, you're a genius. In all of our years here, we've seen very few others exhibit this level of intelligence. Randy was confused. He knew he was smart, but never had anyone told him he was that smart. We'd like to invite you to study here, and not just at the college or our main labs. We'd like to invite you to study with us in the Alpha Department. It's separate from the main institute. Of course, there will be a few prerequisites you'll need to go through first. But if it is something you're interested in, we'd like to welcome you to our special technology sector. Excitement ran through Randy. He felt like he was being asked to join up with some kind of secret allegiance of superhero scientists or something. Not to mention the access to tools and technology he'd have. He was already thinking of the things he might create. The older scientist continued... Of course, there are many things that will require your absolute discretion, the nature of our operations and research. All that you do here must remain absolutely secret. Randy's mother and father were thrilled to learn about how well he'd done at the Institute, and they were excited to hear that their son was going to attend such an esteemed college with a full scholarship, room and board included. They'd been able to save a bit for him to go to college over the years, but they wouldn't be needing it. In the past, his father had actually been in the military for a short time, so when Randy told him his department was a government-funded and run facility, he understood why Randy couldn't explain exactly what he'd be studying. Time passed, and Randy learned many new things. He was shown new and increasingly secret and sophisticated technologies. Having access to these new things and time to create unlocked new and exciting worlds for him. He began to develop his own inventions, which the Institute soon regarded as assets for their primary source of funding. Some years went by, and the other scientists began to trust him. He went from being the big-brained new kid to a respected fellow scientist an engineer. They held several ceremonies, at which his parents attended, and the Institute did all of the appropriate paperwork. Everything was official, and Randy could have basically worked in any science or technology field he wanted with his degrees. But he didn't. He stayed where he was. He was comfortable at the Institute. He had respect and virtually limitless resources at his disposal to tinker with. Also, he had become an asset to the Institute and the government. They had invested in him. They didn't want him to leave. At least, not yet. A few more years passed, and after his itch for technology and robotics was somewhat scratched, he decided to dive into the world of biology, more specifically, the world of biomechanics. Like the rest of his research, he went in head-first, consuming as much information as he could and soon became proficient with projects that required that area of expertise. His activities were monitored closely. He'd usually be pulled into the oak table meeting room every few weeks to be briefed on a new assignment. So when he got the call to head in, he considered it another day at the office, the deep, secret science office. Only this time, he wasn't met with the fellow scientists like he usually was. This time, there was a highly decorated general sitting at the oak table. The man was broad, tall, and clean-shaven. His hair was short on the sides and faded upwards to a flat top. He stood up, shook Randy's hand as he entered the room, and sat back down. Randall, correct? Yeah, but you can call me Randy. No one really calls me Randall. Randy, let's get right to it. Your studies here have primarily focused on creating new assets for the defense sector of the United States government, something I'm sure you've been aware of. Randy had been aware of what he was doing, and so far, nothing he was making had really kept him up at night. They hadn't asked him to make any ray guns or any Death Stars. No weapons at all so far, at least nothing he figured they could weaponize. He made a few surveillance things that could have had questionable intentions, but nothing too insidious. Randy wondered if this was the day they were going to ask him to make something he knew he shouldn't. I am, he replied. Good, the general went on. There's been some new developments. I can't disclose the details, but we will be needing you on a new project, something that requires absolute secrecy on all fronts. Red-framed top secret. Randy shrugged. "'That hasn't really been an issue so far, I've had to—' the general interrupted. "'This isn't so far, Randall. "'Randy, this is something that will require you to pledge to another level of secrecy entirely, "'a line of research that must remain secret to even your current fellow scientists. "'Is that understood?' "'Randy thought about it for a moment. Agreeing to be a part of the secret world in the first place "'had yielded results beyond his wildest dreams.' and he was curious as to how far the rabbit hole would go. He replied, "'Understood.'" The general looked at him directly in the eyes for a moment, staring into his pupils, into his soul. Some years had gone by at the Institute, and as far as Randy knew, his research had taken place deep underground, beneath the facility on the bottom or some of the bottom floors— The next morning, when Randy was greeted in his room and escorted to the elevator, he was surprised to find out there were floors below his lab, deeper beneath the institute. The rabbit hole did indeed go deeper than he imagined. At first, he was excited about the new projects. The few other scientists he worked with seemed to be as well. Their tasks were complicated, but they offered new and interesting challenges, fusing nanotechnology with lab-grown tissue. Augmenting synthetic tissue with biomechanical implants, biomechanical experiments were Randy's current passion, and they must have known that. Based on his history, they knew he'd fit right into these assignments. Everything was going great, and Randy was filled with a sense of wonder again, unlocking a broader and deeper world of science. It was another layer to his science fiction fantasy that had become reality. But he knew that there was more to what he was being shown and allowed to explore. A week went by, and for a second time, Randy was summoned to meet with the general. This time, they met in a much smaller white room, one similar to the one he had taken his entrance exam in. It, too, felt sterile and intimidating. "'Randall, we're impressed with what you've done so far.' "'It's just Randy,' Randy insisted. "'That's right, Randy. I'm glad you're thriving down here. We knew you would. Now, Randy.' I'd like to offer you the opportunity to work on something you've never worked on before. Live specimens. Randy raised an eyebrow at this. I have worked on live specimens. Not like this, Randy. You've worked on a much smaller scale of live specimens. These specimens would be much larger and much more intelligent. Chimps. Randy's face looked disgusted. The general continued. It's not like you think... You'll be using the technology you've been working on to enhance these animals and enrich their lives. That doesn't sound too bad, does it? He considered it. No, it doesn't, actually. I'll be healing these animals? Precisely. Only you won't just be mending them. You will be augmenting them. Randy agreed to move forward with the animal experiments. The next morning, he went to a new lab and a plexiglass cube with circular breathing holes was rolled in. Inside, there was a chimp that was missing both of its arms. It was bouncing up and down in the cube and didn't seem to be particularly distressed, more so playful and interested in the lab it had just entered. The sight of the chimp was jarring to Randy. He expected to be working with animals that needed skin grafts and potentially some prosthetic limbs. This felt extreme. He already knew what they were going to ask him to do before they asked it. He'd been working on biomechanical arms the past week, and they undoubtedly wanted him to graft a pair to the chimp. After it was sedated, he and his new lab partner did so in a few hours. Everything seemed to be successful. The chimp's arms were perfectly implanted. It could grasp objects and passed a plethora of endurance and skill tests after the operation. The following day... Another plexiglass cube was wheeled in for him and his partner. This time, the chimp inside was missing the lower portion of its left leg, and half of its head was caved in, including its left eye. This chimp seemed much more lethargic than the last, and Randy was starting to wonder where these injured chimps were coming from. His partner specialized in neuroscience, a field he was currently exploring but was excited to learn more about. He soon found out that his new assignments would offer him that opportunity. After two days of designing the prosthetic that would fit onto the chimp's leg and the device that would restore its vision, they were ready. The majority of those two days was spent creating the piece for the head that would graft to the chimp's brain and facilitate a functioning eye. To Randy's surprise, the brain of a sophisticated robot didn't seem too different from the brain of a chimp. The animal was repaired. Again, another grand success. The experiments continued on like this for a few weeks. Each new chimp had a more complex problem than the last, and as time passed, there seemed to be an increasing number of them that required Randy and his partner to build biomechanical devices that interacted directly with their brains. All the while, Randy's suspicions grew. He began to think that the Institute wasn't just rounding up a bunch of chimps with brain injuries to have them mended out of the kindness of their hearts. He was also questioning where they were coming from and how they'd been injured in the first place. Some of them had blunt force trauma, and others appeared to have limbs and pieces surgically removed. Randy quickly realized that these animals weren't products of the wild that had come under unfortunate circumstances— They were strategically injured in ways that would test he and his partner's skills. He didn't like that. Randy knew that all of his research and work had been under their critical surveillance for the past few years, but this was different. They were testing him again, and in a macabre way, at the expense of his morals and the safety of the animals he worked on. He decided he would work on one more chimp for the general's line of projects, and then he planned to back out. Randy was done experimenting on mutilated animals. He didn't know how he was going to do it, but one way or another he was going to tell the general that he wanted out. As he sat in his lab, thinking of how he was going to contact the general, so far, all of their communication had been one way, the phone rang. His need for pondering was over. The general's voice barked out on the other end. "'Randall, I'll be in your lab tomorrow with a new assignment. Be prepared to operate at 0800 hours.' Before he could correct him again for calling him Randall and begin to tell him he wanted to get off the line of experiments, the general hung up. Randy couldn't get to sleep that night. His room felt small and stuffy. Working underground with synthetic sunlight felt odd sometimes. A lot of the time. The light was as real as the devices he was implanting on the chimps. It worked, but it wasn't real. He wondered what kind of experiment awaited him in the morning and why the general insisted on being there for it. Wasn't a full report enough, Randy thought. It was unsettling, but eventually he drifted off to sleep. He and his partner were in their lab in the morning early enough to prep for surgery. They had no idea what kind of surgery they'd be doing, but the general had barked, Be prepared to operate, on his phone call. 800 hours came, and the general walked through the sliding glass doors into the lab. They were expecting him to wheel in a plexiglass cube holding a disfigured chimp. Instead, he wheeled in a long, black tube that sat horizontally, hovering above a stainless steel table. Randy was surprised at the general's expression. It looked happy and almost excited. He wheeled the tube over to them and spoke. Good morning, gentlemen. The specimen in this chamber isn't like the ones you've been working on before. He tapped on the top of the tube, and the black where his finger made contact disappeared. And slowly, the rest of it blurred from the tube as well, making the entire thing clear. Beneath the glass, to Randy and his partner's shock, was a man. He was alive, but appeared to be unconscious and barely breathing. The general tapped the glass again, and holographic readouts of the man's vital signs appeared on the glass. This soldier's been out for some time. He's basically a vegetable and hasn't been. Randy interrupted. I can't do this. I won't do this. Chimps are one thing, but experimenting on humans is another thing entirely. He pulled off his purple latex gloves and dropped them on the ground. The general watched them hit the floor and then looked back up at Randy. There's nothing to lose, Randy. He's been given no hope of coming out of this. He eats through a tube and he's been like this for months. Randy looked down at the man again. He wasn't much older than he was. His chest moved very slowly with each breath, and he had stitches across the top of his forehead. They looked fresh. I see you've tried other things, Randy said. The stitches? The general replied. No, he had pressure on his brain, and we had to relieve it. An unfortunate buildup of fluid. They had to drain it. Randy didn't believe that. This is something his family needs to clear. Something they... The general cut him off. His family has given us full permission to try anything we feel might help. Randy wasn't sure he believed that either. The general saw the skepticism on his face. What's the alternative? You refuse, and he goes back to laying in a tube, sucking food through a straw, mother at home wondering if her son will ever wake up? He thought the general did have a point. Regardless of how this man had come into his current state of being, he didn't have many options. Randy looked over his vitals and bio-readouts. He was indeed in a legitimate vegetative state. The general reached into a drawer on the side of the table and pulled out a black box. He opened it and pulled out a very small black square. This is something we've been working on. We'd like you to integrate it into his frontal cortex. There's been a lot of brain damage, and this may serve to stabilize his brain activity once he's back. Another group of our scientists designed it. Randy took the square and held it up to the light. There were hundreds of small metal prongs that lined the sides. They were about the width of a needle. It was a darker black than Randy had ever seen. It looked like a square void in his fingers. Where are these other scientists? Randy's partner asked. The general waited a moment before replying. There are many layers to this facility. He meant this more as a metaphor, but the physical dynamic of the statement was also true. They work on another branch of operations. Their areas of expertise are things like this. He nodded towards the chip. And what is this, exactly? Randy asked. The general made it perfectly clear that that information wasn't going to be disclosed. I told you already, it's something we've been working on. That's all you need to know about the device. Rest assured, it's meant to help this man recover and resume his life as it once was. Randy had been skeptical before but he was sure that that statement wasn't true. His partner spoke again. So we're not allowed to know what it is, but you want us to put it inside this man's head? I'm not comfortable with that. Randy looked at his partner and then back to the general. We're not comfortable with that. The general pursed his lips and closed his eyes. He took a deep, audible breath and opened them. He knew there was no use trying to pull the wool over their eyes about the chip. I have no doubt, given enough time with this device, the two of you would figure out what it does, probably pretty quick. Neither of you are stupid. You've proven that, so I'll be direct. That chip is a matter of national security. I can't tell you exactly what it does, but I can swear to you that it isn't designed to hurt anyone. Like I've said, and all I can say, this device is meant to enhance the recipient. It might be this man's only hope. Randy and his partner asked to have a private discussion. They knew that all of their discussions were monitored in the lab, and this one wouldn't actually be private, but it helped them to focus and come to a decision by having the general leave the lab for a bit. After some time, he returned. Shall we move forward with this gentleman? Randy glanced at his partner, then back to the general, then slid a new pair of latex gloves onto his hands the procedure they were about to do was actually fairly similar to one they did on a chimp earlier that week. While they were doing that one, Randy was ironically imagining the procedure's outcome on a human subject. It was clear to them now that that task, along with their others, had been designed to lead them to their current assignment, and more like it would probably follow. Having done a version of this procedure already, They had the schematics for a device they had designed to hold the chip in place and interface with their subject's brain. They made an extra one after making the first, per the request of the Institute, and now it was all too clear as to why. The chip they implanted in the chimp earlier that week was one of their own design, one they were comfortable integrating and analyzing after the procedure. This new one was a dark, mysterious square that held seemingly nefarious intentions. The glass tube was open. Randy and his partner had attached all of the appropriate life support systems that he'd need while being operated on. They both were wearing sophisticated glasses that could shine bright beams of light directly where they were looking for the operation. The glasses also projected directions, incision information and appropriate tool suggestions. Their peripheries were a constant readout of the patient's vitals. Randy used a small handheld laser to reopen the incision that ran along the top of the man's head. The flesh around the wound sizzled and instantly cauterized. His partner handed him another small laser. This one was designed to cut through bone. Randy held it to the man's skull, and a small red rectangle lit up on the surface of it. The light disappeared, revealing a hole in the same rectangular shape. The man's brain was exposed. Randy was sweating. This wasn't a chimp. This was a man. The level of anxiety he felt was far beyond any he'd felt from subjects before. The general was standing in the lab not far from the operating table. He was now wearing a lab coat and medical mask that matched Randy and his partner's. The tablet he was watching was a live feed of what they were seeing through their operating glasses. After some time, Randy and his partner successfully implanted the mounting device for the chip. All that was left to do, Was inserted. Randy clasped it in a pair of small tweezers. He looked at his partner. They nodded, and then he carefully placed it into the mounting device. To his surprise, it snapped in, like a magnet snapping to a metal surface. The edges of it began to glow white, and a strange symbol appeared in the middle, one that neither of them recognized. The man's eyes shot open, and he took a deep, loud, inward breath. He looked at Randy and tried to lunge upward off the table, but his arms and legs were strapped down at the wrists and ankles. His back arched, and he let out a bellowing howl that sounded like a wounded coyote. Randy backed up quickly and looked over at the general. He pulled down his mask and yelled over at the two scientists. Everything's fine. This is something the other scientists said would happen. Randy looked at his partner. He had backed up against a nearby stainless steel table and was breathing heavily. They could see in their glasses that the man's heart rate had increased to almost heart attack levels, and his breathing and other vitals were off the charts. They would need to sedate him before they could close the incision. The man on the table was flailing violently now. Blood was pouring from his head where they had inserted the chip, and he continued to howl. His eyes were bloodshot and looked almost completely red. Then they began to flash green, as if there was a light inside of them, pulsing. There was no time to waste. Randy grabbed the syringe that would sedate the man and move towards him. He leaned in, meaning to stick him in the neck, when one of his arm straps broke. He grabbed Randy's hand with a strength that felt inhuman. Randy dropped the syringe. Damn it, the general called out. He clicked a button on the side of the tablet and yelled into it. Terminate Alpha Chip 16. He looked back at Randy and his partner. The man still had Randy by the arm and was pulling him closer. The general repeated the command. Terminate Alpha Chip 16. Still, nothing changed. Randy's partner, in a panic, grabbed one of the surgical lasers that was lying on the table behind him. He turned it on and gashed the man's arm with it, cutting it to the bone. Blood splashed across Randy's face and all over the operating table. The man's heart rate shot up even higher, and all of a sudden he stopped flailing and fell limp. One solid, steady tone rang out from the table he was dead. No! Randy yelled. He began chest compressions, and his partner quickly tied off the arm above the gash he had made and began to pump blood into him. Randy kept up the chest compressions. After a few more seconds, his partner prepared a syringe of adrenaline and shot him with it. The general watched from the other side of the room, speaking into his tablet. Just as the plunger was going down on the syringe of adrenaline, the man began to breathe again. Randy and his partner were sweating and breathing heavily as they looked at each other with shock and relief. His partner began to mend the arm he had gashed, and Randy went to work closing up the incision on his head. The general walked over, just as Randy was making his final swipe with the laser tool closing the last bit of the man's head. The subject had stabilized, and Randy was furious. He locked eyes with the general and said, I'm done. I want out. This is not what I signed up for what you signed up for, the general replied. You didn't sign up for anything. We found you, Randall. We've given you everything, and now that you do a little something for us, you want to leave? They stared at each other in a tense silence. Then the general continued. Fine. You'll be discharged in the morning. Clean this lab and gather your things. The general walked over to the man on the table and pushed Randy's partner aside. He waved his hand across the surface on the side of the table and the black glass tube encased the man again. It began to float above the table as he rolled it out through the glass doors. Randy looked at his partner and said, You should go. I don't trust them. You shouldn't either. He lay awake that night, thinking of what had happened in the lab. There were so many questions. Who was the man? What was that chip? Who made it? And what had it done to him? He felt gross and used All of this time, they had been using him. He knew they were educating him for a purpose and keeping him there for their own gains, but had he known to what end, he would have left on his first day. Thoughts of his mom and dad popped into his mind. He hadn't seen much of them over the past few years. Time flew by at the Institute, and he had been buried in his research. He was excited to see them again. Eventually, Randy's anxiety and stress from the day faded, He actually felt at peace, and his eyelids began to feel heavy. When he did fall asleep, he didn't dream. There was only black. When he awoke, he was confused to see black still. His room was dark, but it had never been pitch black. He reached out slowly above him and felt a cold, smooth surface. It arched all around his body. Then it hit him, and he understood what was going on. He was beneath a black glass tube like the one the general had brought in that held the man he had operated on. Panic filled him. He pushed on the glass and yelled out. Nothing happened. There was no reply, just darkness. All of a sudden, a circle of light took shape above him in the darkness, and then the entirety of the glass around him went clear. Randy was in a room he didn't recognize. All along the walls, there were many plexiglass cubes holding chimps all with different degrees of disfigurement. Sitting next to him on both sides and at his feet were more glass tubes like the one he was in. Kneeling next to the tube was a woman. Randy recognized her. She was one of the scientists he had met at the oak table on his first visits. It's okay, she said. You can hear me, but I can't hear you. Do you understand? Randy nodded. She looked to her right and left and continued. We don't have much time. I've jammed their surveillance equipment, but it will only last so long. Randy nodded again. I found out what they're doing, and it's sick. I don't have the clearance to get you out, but I've been talking with someone who can. He realizes this is as sick as I do, along with the rest of us. He'll come for you soon. She noticed a noise coming from the other end of the room and tapped the glass back to black again. Randy tried to think. He didn't have any tools, and he didn't have a lot of room to improvise. For as smart as he was, he'd gotten himself into a terrible situation. Some time passed, an hour, maybe two. It was hard for him to tell in the complete darkness. All he could hear during that time was the occasional scream or hoot from one of the chimps that surrounded him. If the people in the other tubes were calling out, their screams were muted by their glass prisons. Eventually, he heard the room to the door open and close again, and then he felt the table he was on start to move. The tube was hovering just above it. He could feel it shifting and wobbling as the cart was pushed along. Whoever was pushing him went through several sliding glass doors and passed through several terminals requiring bio-clearance. They stopped, and he heard a voice a few feet to their left. Taking another round of them, the person who had been pushing him replied, Just these two now. There might be more later. The other voice spoke again. All right, go on through. Randy heard some sort of hydraulic release in front of them engage, in the glass chamber, wobbled a bit. He wasn't sure what was going on, but he heard the faint whimpering of a chimp on the other side of the glass. He bobbed up and down for a while and heard objects around him shift. Randy wasn't completely sure, but it felt and sounded like he was in some kind of vehicle, a van or a truck. Eventually, the vehicle came to a stop, and he heard the hydraulic mechanism engage again. After some bouncing up and down and getting rattled around a bit, it felt like his chamber was sitting on the ground. All at once, the black around him disappeared and the glass chamber opened up, releasing him. It was dusk outside, but after being in complete darkness for so long, Randy felt blinded by the daylight. He opened his eyes slowly, and the man who had rescued him came into focus. It was the older scientist from before, the one with the white beard he sat with at the oak table. He helped Randy to his feet. I don't have much time to explain, but you have to get out of here. Stick to the trees. Drones patrol the skies around here. There are train tracks two miles from here if you head east. There will be an empty car close to the end. It will be moving slowly enough for you to jump on. It was very difficult, but we were able to arrange that for you. Randy was still squinting. What's going on? Where are we? No time, the bearded scientist said. I can't confuse their tracking for too long. You have to go. What they're doing is terrible, and we plan to set as many free as we can. Randy looked into the back of the van. There was a plexiglass cube holding a chimp that was missing its left leg. Guilt washed over him, along with a sense of responsibility. What are you going to do with that one? He asked. The man looked at the chimp, and then back at Randy. I don't know. The humane thing might be to euthanize her, but there's no time for... I'll take her, Randy said. The man looked puzzled. It's the least I can do after all I've done. I I didn't know what we were doing. I should have. I'm so stupid. No, the man said. We all are. We all did this. The weight of how demented the Institute was sunk in at that moment for Randy. They'd manipulated the hopes and intentions of some of the brightest minds to do terrible things. Right under their noses. It's ironic how sometimes the smartest people unknowingly look past the most obvious things. Randy undid the latch that held the chimp's cube closed. She was young and small. He flung her onto his hip like a small child. Her leg straddled his side. She was happy to be out of the cube, and her instincts were telling her it was time for her to escape. He leapt down from the van with the chimp. Thanks for saving me. Uh, us. The man ignored the thanks and pointed into the trees. The tracks are that way. Stay under the trees and move quickly. Do not hitchhike. Do not use a phone. He reached out and put a hand on Randy's shoulder. Do not try to contact your family unless you want them dead. Unfortunately, you know too much now. We've set things up to make it look like you've escaped. Well, you have, but we're making it look like you did so differently. We're giving them a false trail. The gravity of what was happening started to sink in for Randy. The man looked at the setting sun gravely and said, Don't give them a way to track you. They'll be looking for you, and if they find you, they'll kill you. He looked back at the trees and said, Don't go. Your train will be passing by soon. I have to leave before they catch on to me. The man got back in the van and sped away. Randy looked into the trees and then down at the chimp. Ready, girl? He could hear another vehicle approaching in the distance. Randy tightened his grip on the chimp and ran into the trees. The man was right. The train tracks were about two miles from the road. When they approached, Randy waited in the tree line at the edge of the tracks. If there were drones overhead, he didn't want to give them any opportunity to spot them. The train approached. As it roared towards them, he was worried that it might not slow down enough for them to jump on. To his relief, about halfway through passing by, he heard the brakes engage and squeak. The train was slowing. They waited and watched the train cars go by slower now. The sprawling graffiti on them became more legible as it slowed. The final car was approaching, and as it did, Randy could make out a line of graffiti that was surely meant for them on the car in front of it. Safety. And, underneath that, this car. Both messages were in graffiti font and would have blurred into the rest of the writing on the cars if he hadn't been looking for what car to jump into. Randy pulled the chimp close and ran to the car. There was a latch on it that looked like it could be opened. He sat the chimp on the small platform attached to the train car and went to jump on himself. His foot slipped on a rock that was jutting from the ground, and he almost fell. As he regained his footing, the train started to speed up. Soon, it would be moving too fast for him to jump on. He had to act fast. In desperation, he leapt onto the last train car, right on the back of the train. He figured it was better to get on the wrong car than not on the train at all. His new companion was waiting patiently while Randy shimmied along the edge of the last train car. He slowly made his way along its edge and eventually over the gap that connected to the second-to-last car. He made it to the car she was on. He flipped the latch and they went inside. It was still a bumpy ride, but far less chaotic than on the outside. For the most part, the train car was empty. Then, Randy noticed a box sitting on the floor near the door on the other side of the car. He went to it as his new companion explored her surroundings. Inside the box, Randy found a few things, the first of which was a change of clothes. He was excited to get out of the thin hospital gown they had put him in and get new shoes on his feet. The bottoms of the paper-thin slippers he was wearing weren't meant for trekking through the woods. There was also a blanket, some food, fruit, granola, and a few other things, water, a small amount of cash, and a note. Randy unfolded and read it. The train is automated, but you still need to be cautious of who sees you getting off of it. Keep the doors closed and ride it as far from the Institute as you can. When you exit the train, leave no trace behind. If you value the safety of your family, you will not try to contact them. Other than your escape, we have not set up anything for you, as this would leave a trail, putting you and us at risk. We plan to save as many of you as we can. The less we say, the better. For now, you are on your own. Best of luck. It wasn't signed. From what Randy could piece together, other scientists felt the same as he did about what was happening at the Institute. Some of them were working to free the test subjects before undoubtedly leaving themselves. Randy wondered what had become of his partner. He hoped that he was able to get out as well. The train car bounced a bit, and Randy looked up from the letter. His chimp companion was nowhere in sight. His eyes scanned back and forth across the car frantically, hoping she was hiding in plain sight, but all he saw was an empty train car. He stood and called out, Where are you? He paused. She didn't have a name, or if she did, Randy didn't know it. He called out again. Where are you, chimp? A small succession of high-pitched tones rang out above him. It was the chimp. She had climbed up to the ceiling, and was hanging there, off of a metal fixture. Randy smiled. For a young, one-legged chimp, she could still climb just fine. Randy cracked open one of the bottles of water in the box and pulled up a small amount in his hand. The chimp climbed down and gulped it. What had she been through? Randy thought. Then he thought of things he might have gone through, had he not been rescued. Guilt washed over him. He wished he would have listened to his intuitions, which told him to leave. When the tinges of guilt and uncertainty first pulled at his mind... He couldn't change that. He had to think about where he was going next, where they were going next, and how he was going to stop the Institute. He wasn't sure how, but he had to help. Looking down at the chimp drinking water from his hand, he reached out and began to stroke the back of her head. She flinched, surprised, but then calmed down and kept drinking. I know this is cheesy as all get-out, Randy said, but I think I'm going to call you... Hope. Thanks so much for listening to the first part of this story. Um, it's interesting because when I started writing it, I didn't anticipate it to turn into a two-parter. But as I was developing, uh, as I was developing the story and coming up with new ideas and things that should happen, I realized that it was getting pretty long. And just for the sake of keeping each episode at a manageable length and uh, not not blasting you with too much information all at once, too much of the story all at once, I decided to split it into two parts. So um, stick around for part two. It will be out very soon. If you're listening to this in the future, it's already out, and <laughs> it'll be the next uh, episode on the on my feed of ep- of stories. If you'd like to support the podcast, leaving a rating or a review goes a really long way. Also, just telling your friends and family that you found these stories and you're enjoying them goes a really long way as well. I also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash strangewhispers. You can get access to early episodes, exclusive content, and a bunch of other stuff over there. However you support, I cannot thank you enough. I'll see you for the second part of this story. Until then, keep creating.